Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Today's episode of 4 to 6 with A and B is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to another edition of Four to Six with A and B. I'm here with Bill Landis, who is usually the most famous person on this podcast, but this week we have a special guest, our first special guest on Four to Six with A and B, Eddie George, and we're going to talk to him about. Uh, his history in recruiting, his Ohio State history, and, of course, the fact that he was voted um, most people's all-time favorite Buckeye. Um, and then after we get to Eddie George, uh, we are going to talk, uh, Bill and I, about the 2002 National Championship game that he had just watched for the first time this week and a big five-star commitment um, Ohio State picked up from um, a running back in, in Virginia, which we'll break down. So, but first, let's get right to our uh, interview with Eddie George, and then we'll uh, catch up with you after that's over. Thanks so much. Please welcome to the show. Uh, he is a star of stage and screen. He's a businessman, and he happened to play a little football as well. We have Eddie George on the podcast. Very happy to have Eddie here. Eddie, welcome. Uh, how, how are you doing, and, and how are you getting through uh, these times here where we're all sort of cooped up in our houses. Wow. Um, I'm doing well. I'm physically doing well. My family doing well. Um, this actually is, you know, I'm looking at this as a blessing. Um, I look at it as not quarantine. I look at it as a time of grounding, of uh, working on projects that I, I make commitments to, uh, to spending more time with my son um, and my wife doing some spring cleaning, cleaning out the house, getting some old stuff. Um, just recently had my knee scoped, so I'm healing up from that. And I have a chance to work on my golf swing, my golf game. <laughs> so I'm finding the positives in it all, but uh, more importantly, um, just trying to keep everybody sane in the house where we're constantly doing some fun stuff every day, whether it's taking a family drive, getting outdoors, uh, but, but respecting the social distancing, um, cause it's been pretty nice out and just, um, just really appreciate the time that we have together and just trying to gear up for when things do, uh, become, I wouldn't say normal when we're on the other side of this. I think things will be uh, drastically different in our world. 
um, just come out better on top. And this is what we're preparing for, you know, business and life and relationships and so forth. I know uh, you're obviously very into fitness, and, and I believe you're a, a yoga instructor on top of all that. I do want to I want to ask you a little bit about that before we go here later on. Um, maybe give some people some tips. But before we do get to that, uh, I think a lot of us are cleaning out our houses right now. We're just trying to find the way to, to pass the time by by straightening things up a little bit or digging through some old stuff. You must have some pretty cool things you found digging through some stuff, whether that's from your Ohio State career or your your NFL career. Anything anything interesting you unearthed in, in, in cleaning out that stuff? Yeah, I came across a few pictures I took in 1999 at the 99 Pro Bowl uh, with uh, Ray Lewis, back uh, Chris Carter, Robert Smith, Sean Springs. We all took a picture together just to just some Buckeye love. Um, and it was just like, man, just going back to the memories. Like, man, you know, I played with and against some of the the, the greatest to play the game. And um, to be to be in that category, to have that opportunity was uh, was incredible. Um, yeah, and just getting rid. Of, I found my old uh, planner too from my, my rookie year. <laughs> it was just crazy. <laughs> I'm looking at. Wow, well, I was pretty organized back then. I had you know the dates blocked off when I had a commercial shoot. Um, the, my forty time and how many how many times I did my bench. Um, where I was going to Houston, it was just fun to see. Um, going back in time, like wow, I was planning all this out, and and all that stuff came to fruition, and uh, how my life literally changed from my senior year in Ohio State. So now it's just it's just remarkable to see. So that was a keepsake that I had found in well well over twenty uh, some odd years. So it's crazy. It's kind of an interesting thing. We're sort of in a time here where I think a lot of people are, are looking backward because there's, there's especially from a sports standpoint, there's just nothing happening. So we're all watching old games, and I think people are reminiscing about those kinds of things. And we actually ran a, a fan poll with Ohio State fans over the course of this week, and we asked them, among other things, who their favorite all-time Buckeye is. And uh, I'm, I'm now going to hit you with what I'm sure will be the greatest individual honor you would ever receive in regards to your college football career, and that is you were the runaway winner for people's all-time favorite Buckeye when we did that fan vote. Golly, I wouldn't expect that. You know, I would have thought there's just so many great Buckeyes. Of course, uh, before me, uh, during my time, and certainly now with uh, the recent success of Ezekiel and J.K. Dobbins and uh, um, uh, marriage. Uh, you can, guys, I mean, that's made Archie Griffin. I mean, that's just, you know, the list goes on. Uh, but that's, that's remarkable. I appreciate the love. I think there, yeah, a lot of people were, were looking back and, and thinking about those seasons in the mid '90s here, when, and obviously your Heisman Trophy season, and, and maybe we talk, start there, talking a little bit about your Ohio State career. I'm, I'm curious when you look back at maybe '95 in particular. There were a lot of big games that year, and obviously it ended well for you on an individual standpoint. When, when you look back at that. Do any one of those games stick out more than the other? I'm wondering, like, if, if the Notre Dame game or your record against Illinois or, or beating Penn State that year after the way things went the year before, like, if any of those games stick out more than any other? You know, that was just a special year. Every game was, like, a statement game for us. Uh, going back to Boston College, you know, the opening game in the Meadowlands in New York City. And it was ironic that we went to the Heisman. Uh, downtown Federal Club, the home of the Heisman, to visit the um, the club and to have a chance to look around. That was a statement. That was a unique experience. And then to play Washington again, to really figure figure out we were physical enough to go through 
of the season uh, at home and, and to put up you know two twelve and so forth. But I, I would say the game that sticks out the most of of all of them. You mentioned Penn State, which was a remarkable win. Um, was I would have to say, oh God, it has to be Notre Dame. Um, and I, I just recently watched the highlights of that game not too long ago, um, maybe about a week and a half ago. And just looking at the, the talent level, the plethora of talent that we had on, on both sides of the football, with Sean Springs and Mike Brable and uh, Luke Fickle um, on the edge, um, and, and you had Bobby Hoying and Ricky Dudley and, Sean, and uh, excuse me, and Terry Glenn, I rest the soul, uh, catching the ball all over the yard. And, and to watch Terry Glenn play now with the eye that I've seen in terms of professional football, he was just light years ahead of everybody else with speed, nuance of route running, uh, the ability to get over the playmaker. I mean, just everything about him just reeked uh, a superstar in being, being a professional. At that level, and I knew Terry was great then, but watching now is just—it's just—it just really brings joy to my heart that I was able to play with with a guy like that. So to see all the talent on that day and how we just all really came together um, as a team, and everybody had a part in that victory, uh, was uh, was awesome. So I'll say more today. Hey Eddie, I think a lot of people. Um, <laughs> clearly we're happy that you ended up at Ohio State, but being a guy from Philadelphia, I was just wondering, um, can you take, give us the story a little bit about how um, you ended up at Ohio State? I know that I read somewhere that Penn State was once the dream for you, but what was, uh, if you could go back in time and remember exactly how you ended up at Ohio State, I think people would like to hear that story. Yeah, well, I was uh, always grew up a Penn State fan growing up in Philadelphia, um, love Big Blue, love Joe Paterno. I went to all their football camps throughout high school. Uh, but once my mother made the decision to move me to Fort Union Military Academy, um, it opened my world up to something completely different. I was no longer in Pennsylvania. I was in Virginia, and where Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, the ACC schools, SEC schools reigned supreme. And... Uh, and my dream was to go back to Penn State. But long story short, uh, Joe Paterno got one look at me and said, well, you want you to play linebacker. And that, that just really broke my heart. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, here I was, like, right on the brink of probably going to Penn State fulfilling my dream. And they want me to play uh, anything else but running back. Uh, but there was a um, platoon sergeant who – was my platoon, my former platoon sergeant at Forky Military Academy. He was at Ohio State as an athletic trainer, and he would keep up with me from time to time. And he uh, called me while I was at Fort Union and said, well, what do you think about coming to Ohio State? And I'm thinking, okay, you're an athletic trainer. How are you going to pull this off? I'm like, who, you, who do you know that, uh, that I don't know that can get me to go to Ohio State? He said, don't worry about it. I'm on top of it. I said, fine, whatever. His name was Danny Osmond. So about two weeks after our conversation, he calls me all excited. He's like, hey, send me up a tape. They really want to see what you're made of. So I got a tape together, got a VHS tape together. I sent it up. And two weeks later, he calls me back. He's like, man, you were outstanding on that game tape. Um, they want to see more. Send up another tape. 
send up another tape. Two weeks later, he calls me back. So what do you think? Oh, they love you, man. They absolutely love you, but they want to see more tape. I'm like, I don't have any more tape. I said, everything I got for you. Um, so uh, shortly thereafter, I got a phone call from Ron Hudson, who was the recruiting coordinator in that area. He came down to Fort King Military Academy. We had a, like a it felt like a 40-hour conversation. And, but we're talking, he's just kind of looking me over. He's looking me in the eye and just kind of making a decision. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I'm just thinking in my heart, like, man, this, this could be, Ohio State could be it. And he says, I want to invite you on a trip, uh, a trip to Ohio State for a visit. So I took my visit to Ohio State. Um, I, I, was, I had an okay time. But I think what the deciding factor for me was the very last day as I'm going back to Fort King Military Academy, um, we're in the, the shoe. And the shoe reeks or sound to me, it's loudest when no one's in there. Because you can see the rich architecture. You can really appreciate the nuance of the, of the stadium from a visible standpoint, that how huge it is, how intimidating it can be. And you can begin to feel the greatness of the players that have played this game uh, at Ohio State and of uh, the games that were, have, been, have been played in there. And I just remember thinking, like, man, you know, uh, Archie Griffin played here, Woody Hayes was here, uh, Chris Spellman. I thought about the rich tradition, and it just felt like this is home. This I could see myself making plays on this field and doing great things. And I just said, you know what? I told my mom, I said, this is the spot. I said, this it just feels right. Everything about it feels right. And uh, Coach Cooper offered me a scholarship, and uh, I jumped all over it. I did not wait. I said, listen, I'm going to commit right here on the spot, and and went from there. And um, the rest was history. Eddie, I don't know how closely you've been paying attention to Ohio State's recruiting, hopefully a lot. <laughs> uh, but um, they've been recruiting a lot of – um, athletes at um, other positions to play linebacker, and I'm just trying to think what what kind of linebacker would you have been? Would you have been a first round outside linebacker? I would have been hell off the edge. That's what I would have been. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think I would have been a decent linebacker. I would if I, if I loved the position and committed to that, I would have found a way to uh, made a career out of it. Let's play some alternate history here. Um, there was a running back from Columbus named Kajana Carter, obviously, that went to Penn State in 1991. I was just wondering, have you ever envisioned what your life might have turned out to be had you gone to Penn State like you grew up thinking or envisioning? Well, yeah, Kajana Carter was there. So, and Mike Archie, Stephen Pitts, I'll never forget these names. Uh, J.T. Morris was also there. Brian Milan was also This was a freshman class. So, I was well aware of it. So they, they were they were loaded at running back back then and Richie Anderson was the upperclassman. So they all got redshirted and they were like, eh, we got we got enough running backs, you're not gonna fit there. So I think about that often, like man, what my what my life might have been like, I might have not been able to get on the football field. <laughs> but that's <laughs> the Ohio State was no slouch either. You know. Um because they had Butler, Benote, Robert Smith, Raymond Harris. I mean, both backfields were loaded, but they were just a little younger. Um, there was a plethora of running backs that, that were younger than than, uh, than Raymond and those guys. Um, when you uh, 
keep track of like the modern day world of recruiting, um, you hear some funny stories about things that occur on the on the recruiting trail. I was just wondering. I know it was a different time um, in the '90s, but do you have any funny recruiting stories or anything that you know jumps out of you to this day about something that happened while you were being courted as a high school prospect? You know, I wish I had something exciting to say, but I guess me coming from a military academy, they thought I was a straight laced, buttoned up type of guy, no nonsense and discipline, and who wanted to drink drink milk and meat cookies and just sit there and watch it, play video games and, and talk about uh, military stuff. It was the complete opposite. So they paired me up with guys like that, that had that personality. And I was like, no, that's not really who I am. I, I go to military school, but I want to get out. I want to see, I want to, you know, I want to see the women. I want to go to parties. I want to have a good time. Yeah. I'm the highlight. You know, so unfortunately, I don't have any a great overwhelming story that yeah i always say that if i were a five-star prospect that i would take all five of my official visits just for the experience yeah you should yes you <laughs> yeah should. that's and, eddie george uh, yeah i went to renew uva uh for my last visit had a wonderful time but uva was right down the street from fort union and i wanted to get out of that that bucolic country type of environment i wanted to be near a city where i can just go buck wild. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, one one more for me. Um, the the game has changed a lot um, since you've played, and I think there's some debate as to how important drafting a running back at the in the first round is, or um, how replaceable some of these guys have been in the NFL. What is your take on the running back position, and even Ohio State's position going into next year, losing J.K. and not really knowing for sure what is going to that that position is going to look like how important is the running back in the modern day game and um do you think it's every bit as important as it used to be yes it is it's always been important no matter how they try to um no matter what they try to do to say that they diminish the running back position that it's a dime a dozen um it can be you know you can get a, a platoon of running backs and do it or you can um find that bell horse running back to Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott. Um, just to name a couple guys. But you always need a, a potent running game to get you to win a championship. I don't care who you are. You know, you look at um, uh, last year's champion in the NFL. Um, they, uh, the, the championship chief had, Chiefs, they had an element of, of a running attack as well. Um, you look at uh, the uh, San Francisco 49ers. They had a three-headed monster at the running back position. So in order to win football games and to win championships, you have to be able to win the football. And uh, I think it's still a, a, a valued position. I think now when you have a special talent, um, a guy that's like off the charts like a Saquon Barkley, um, you'll see guys go in the upper tier of the draft. Um, but if you got guys that are putting up, uh, I guess, pedestrian um, workout numbers and is not going to wow you off the charts, that way they can they figure that they can get you um, later uh, in, the, in the draft and, and certainly not pay you as much. So um, you have to look at the longevity of it. Um, when I played, guys were playing 13, 14 years. Um, I played nine. 
and that was relatively young at the, in, that, in that in that area. But I never missed a game unless it missed a start due to injury. Uh, so it's it's a game. It's a, it's a position where it's, uh, it's a short shelf life. But I think they they really um, have garnered the position, the quarterback position. They're really trying to surround the, the, the quarterback with a lot of weapons and vice versa on the defense side of the football. They're trying to stop the quarterback. So they're going to invest in those positions more so than anything else. Eddie, you mentioned you mentioned Zeke Elliott earlier, and you, you just said Saquon Barkley's name there. And I'm, I'm just wondering about this this sort of new generation of running back talent and maybe how you think a guy like J.K. Dobbins can maybe carve out a spot for himself in that. I don't know how much you, you were able to watch J.K. while he was here. I'm sure you saw him a little bit. Just what, what, what do you make of J.K.'s game? And as he's getting ready to go into the NFL here, what do you think of his prospects as a professional? I think he's the perfect fit for for today's game. He's able to catch the ball out the backfield. He's an exceptional blocker. Um, he can uh, do things in space that, that we love to see. He can make guys miss. Um, he can run in between the tackles. He can do it all. He can break away um, speed-wise, and uh, he's just a, a tough, a tough runner who works his works his tail off. He runs bigger than what he than what he actually looks like, and that just this you know goes back to his heart and the testament to who he is in terms of being a running back. So I'm very familiar with J.K. and I think that you know a spot like a New England or a uh, uh, you know, you could be uh, a great fit here in Tennessee um, to take some take some pressure off of Derrick Henry as a change of pace guy, and I think he's going to be phenomenal uh, because again, because of the versatility element that he brings to the table. Okay, before we let you go here, let's let's go off the field a little bit, and I would be remiss if I did not ask you this uh, myself, being a, a native of the fine city of Philadelphia. What is your go-to cheesesteak order? I know you're a very you're a man who's very into his fitness, but I would hope that would not deny you the opportunity to have a cheesesteak every now and then. So what do you get on your cheesesteak? Listen, when I go home, all bets are off. You know, <laughs> that's the one time I'm like, I'm going to do, I'm going to eat what I want to eat. So I'll go to, uh, I go to Ishka Bibbles, uh, or I'll go to, to Delisandro's. I'll mm-hmm. get a, a cheesesteak. With uh, fried onions, ketchup, light salt, pepper. Um, I'll get uh, American cheese on it, and with lettuce, light mayo, and uh, get a couple. Get a bag of uh, barbecue chips and a tahitian treat, and I will get an apple pie, a tasty cake apple pie, and a lemon pie. Back that up as my dessert. So that is my full-on meal when I go back home. Philadelphia, <laughs> Eddie. I gotta tell you, uh, what you just said to me sounded like poetry, and you and you passed the test there. So I'm surprised that Landis didn't just pass out right now. <laughs> that was that was the correct answer. Now he's down with cheesecake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So do I. I wouldn't mind a tasty cake pie either. Yeah, you know, tasty. You know, you can't find tasty cakes outside of Philadelphia, or outside of that, that that region, the Northeast region. So when I go home, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do what the Romans do. You know, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> indulge when I get back there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, your acting career, and I think people are familiar with that and and know that you were uh, part of the touring company for. Chicago and have done some other things. Uh, where does that stand? I know we're we're in a bit of a weird time now. Where really, nothing's going on. But but is that something you're still passionate about, still pursuing, and and might 
find yourself doing once life gets back to, to a little bit of normalcy? Absolutely. Uh, just yesterday, I filmed an audition piece um, for a movie, a possible movie. I've been doing that the last three weeks. I was filming uh, myself and you know, doing some self-taping for audition pieces. I uh, didn't get a couple um, uh, about a week ago, but hopefully my fingers are crossed and I'll get this one for a movie through Lionsgate. So we'll see. But um, I, you listen, acting, um, it, it's it's um, a part of, of storytelling. Um, and I think we all um, have the ability to tell stories. And you tell stories in your job. Um, an entrepreneur tells stories. A doctor tells stories. And then that's his deal to help people out, uh, give people signs of hope or whatever that may be. So we're all in some form or fashion storytellers. And um, I'm always looking to fine-tune that craft, whether that's on stage, in front of the camera, uh, in terms of uh, – inspiring someone to um, be an entrepreneur or establishing dreams. I'm always going to do something along those lines. So uh, uh, that's, that's always constant for me. I'm always trying to fine tune my craft. And, and if I'm blessed enough to land an acting role um, in front of the camera um, on stage, then so be it. But um, um, I just love, I love storytelling. Hey, Eddie, uh, since you got done um, talking about Philly cheesesteaks, I got really hungry, but I wanted to ask you one more food question because that's kind of a hallmark thing that we talk about on this podcast. What is your take on Nashville hot chicken? And if you love it, where do you think the best place in Nashville is for hot chicken? Well, I'm not a big hot chicken fan. Um, Never really been. Uh, But if I was going to do it, it was going to be purchased chicken. Um the original location off of, I think it's Nolensville Road here in Tennessee. I would, I, I would go there because they, the grease is about 50 years old. And that's what you want. <laughs> you want that old grease. You want the old original equipment that they make the, uh, the, the chicken in. You don't want anything new with new grease and a uh, franchise. You won't get the, quite the, the same experience. So that's authenticity is very important to me. Uh, when we're talking about food spots, but if I were to do any hot chicken, I would I would definitely go to Prince's. Any other spot, you know, is like for me some of the cheesesteak spots in Philadelphia, the, the famous ones. Not a big fan because it's off a tour. Preach. But if you want, if you want, <laughs> um, if you want some real a real experience, you go to some hole in the wall like in North Philadelphia or right on the corner uh, in West Philly, uh, some obscure place. You get the best cheesesteak there, and that's the same thing holds true here in Nashville when it comes down to hot chicken. I will say this, Eddie. I think you just became Bill's all-time favorite athlete in any sport of any generation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's no There's no think. That's that's the case now. All right. Uh, we'll let you go with this, Eddie, since we're talking about all this good food that people can eat. Uh, like I mentioned, you you are uh, into yoga and, and fitness is sort of in general. Um, any tips for anybody who's at home right now and, and trying to find a way to maybe stay in some semblance of shape or, or just get out and move around a little bit? Well, well, full disclosure, I'm not a yoga instructor. Uh, I guess I guess people associate me as being a yoga instructor, but that's not me. I still, I'm still a student of 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 the of, of the uh, of the art. Uh, but I would definitely suggest um, getting getting outdoors as much as you can, but not being around anyone. Um, I think it's important. I see people walking in my neighborhood. That's great. Couples walking. 
that's uh, awesome. If you have a home gym or just a space in your house doing the old school sit-ups, push-ups, uh, dips, and um, and pull-ups, if you'd be able to do it in the doorway. You know, and the best way to do that is to get a deck of cards and um, assign a number to uh, the the face cards, like the ace, the king, queen, whether there's 10 reps that represents uh, 15 or 15 reps, um, and the other face cards are hold our value, and then you flip a card and you, if it's ace of clubs, clubs are, are uh, uh, reps of 15, and the clubs represent a push-up, so you got 15 push-ups, and the jokers represent um, like a, some type of conditioning, like maybe 25 burpees. So there's creative ways that you can stay in shape, and that's a long workout. That'll take you about 45 minutes to do, but you're getting your entire body, you're getting conditioning, and and you're you're not going to come out of you know quarantine 50 pounds overweight. You know you don't want to have some some type of shape to you. You're going to be in some type of shape during it all. So that's what I would recommend. That's what we've been doing here at this house is uh, finding time to go to a park where no one is and get some running in, some lifting, and, um, and just being creative and having fun with it. All right, well, I'm going to get in a car and drive eight hours and go get a cheesesteak from Delisandro's, and I'll come back, and I'll do all that <laughs> stuff. And that'll be my plan uh, for this week. Eddie, uh, we really appreciate you having having you on. Uh, thanks so much for giving us some of your time here. Uh, hope you and your, your family are staying safe and healthy as, as we're going through this. And, and thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Eddie. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Take care, guys. So, Bill, you just came up with a with a new favorite athlete of all time, I assume. I mean, that oh, was was that oh, like wait, an out of wait, wait, wait. Let me let me light this cigarette real quick. <laughs> oh, I thought you were telling me to stop the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that was for the first guest on four to six with A and B. I can't imagine that uh, you could have had a better experience there. That was good. That was good. I was uh, you and I had talked beforehand about like we need to talk about Philly stuff. I was like, I don't think Eddie George eats cheesesteaks, and then I was very wrong. Unless he has like a canned answer for that, but I don't think he does. That seemed genuine to me, and it, honestly, it could not. He could not have answered it any better. Yeah, as long as you're not some some guy from Philly who says Pats or Genos, I think you're good. I'm going to take some credit for you getting the answer because in the middle of the interview, I did message you saying, "Dude, this has to happen." Like the hallmark of who you are is Philadelphia, and we got a guy who grew up in Philadelphia who won a Heisman. You're going to ask him about cheesesteaks, or we're not doing the podcast anymore. Yes, I appreciated you doing that, and and not only did he answer the question the correct way but then he doubled down when he came back on the end talking about the nashville hot chicken and in a roundabout way told everyone that pats and gino sucks so like it was perfect yeah yeah and uh funny thing ever since he hung up i've been thinking about that deck of cards workout how many lifetimes (laughs) would it take you to do that (laughs) it's like you're talking about one of the most well-conditioned athletes of all time uh, talking about this deck of 52 card workout (laughs) like that's a, that's a pretty intense workout, I think. I might try uh, try it yeah. next in my next life. It's not happening in this life for me, I can tell you that right now. So, Bill, uh, it was an interesting time to have Eddie on because, like you mentioned to him, we um, had a survey and the all-time favorite Buckeye that fans voted for was Eddie. And it wasn't just that he won. He won by a, a landslide. Like you said, almost doubled up the second place um vote getter and i was wondering was that a surprise to you um in terms of just the way that that worked out because it was to me i thought there would be a huge piece of recency via recency bias in the results of that poll 
I was pretty shocked. Yeah, I was tabulating them on Thursday, and the full results of the survey will run on Monday. I mean, encourage you to read that on The Athletic. Um, I thought it would be someone recent. I, I thought maybe like Troy Smith or, or maybe even Zeke Elliott um, would have won that, and it was kind of funny. Eddie was first, and then Archie was second, and he he just about doubled up Archie, and then third was Troy Smith, like just behind Archie. I think it was a difference of two votes between Archie and Troy for second place. I, I was surprised by that. It makes me wonder a little bit sort of about the demographic of our audience on The Athletic, and maybe um, – they're a, a tad bit older maybe than you and I are, but not so old that they would have watched a guy like Archie play, like sort of maybe like in their 40s, like right in that sweet spot where when they were growing up and watching Ohio State football, maybe Eddie was the guy they were watching and, and emulating and all that stuff. But I would not have – I, I certainly would have thought Eddie would be top five. Um, I don't know if I would have picked him to be number one. I was pretty surprised by that. Yeah, I um... – I was pretty surprised by it too because even even though I do think that there's a straight line between a person's age and how they vote, like a person who's a baby boomer might be more likely to vote Woody Hayes because that's the way that they remember football from when they were children. Um, but I do think that given the stacked talent pool that Ohio State had on their most recent national championship victory and the crazy performance that Ezekiel Elliott had in the playoff almost rushing for 800 yards in three games and scoring all those touchdowns against Oregon that – he would have won. That was my first guess. And it turns out that he was, what, sixth, you said? He was, let me grab my notebook here. He was tied for sixth. Sorry to put you on a the spot there. No, like it's that. okay. Sixth. I had it right there. He was tied for sixth with A.J. Hawk. The only, like, recent, I'll just give you the top five. We can spoil this one because there's a lot more in the survey that, you, that I think you'll want to read. Uh, Eddie was first. Archie was second. Troy Smith was third. Braxton was fourth. Uh, Ted Ginn Jr. and Chris Spielman were tied for fifth. And Zeke and AJ Hawk were sixth, tied for sixth. Big shout out to Landis for combing through all those results and adding them up together. That's the Lord's work right there. Maybe I just cooked the numbers because I knew it was going to work well with our podcast and no one will ever know. Yeah, nobody will ever know. Um, but it was a good time to have a running back on because the biggest news of, of the week was that Ohio State got five star running back uh, Trevayon Henderson committed. Um, and that's their second running back in the class and their second elite running back in the class a year after there were some concerns about who they signed at that position. That was probably the biggest um, get that they've had uh, in during the quarantine months. Um, I remember last time we talked about that slew of four that they got in a row um, last earlier this month. Um, you thought that um, running back was the biggest need in this class, um, and I thought that Ja'Kalen... Johnson was the most important commitment that Ohio State got, but now that they got Henderson, a five-star kid who hasn't even visited yet, I would change my answer to, to J.K. Johnson over to Henderson, and I just wanted to revisit that question. Who do you think the quarantines, um, the ones that committed to Ohio State during the the dead period, who do you think is the most impactful commitment, and what do you think of this um, current commitment of Henderson? I think it's Henderson. I think maybe I would revisit that again if someone like uh, JT Tui, Tui Malo or however you say his name, the defensive tackle from Seattle, um, were to commit during this time. I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but he's a five-star prospect as well. But Henderson is the highest-rated running back who uh, he hasn't signed, but when he does sign, he'll be the highest-rated running back to sign with Ohio State since Beanie Wells. So this has been a long time coming for Ohio State to get a player like this, and clearly they've had good running backs since then. But uh the optics of this are big. I think this in terms of what you were talking about and, and trying to get a, a, a stud at this position after 
not getting one last year and, and missing out on a guy like Bijan Robinson, who who was a stud, and, and watching him go to Texas. Henderson, at least physically, doesn't quite look like Robinson, but I think stylistically, they, they look very similar to me. Like, this kid's very explosive. You and I were talking about like what we think a, off off the podcast, but like what we think a five star running back should look like, or like what what we think a kid who who really wows us at this position in high school should look like, and and he looks like that to me. He's 5'11", 195, and I think he'll be bigger than that. That's what he's listed at. But he is very fast, very explosive, does not lose much at all when he's changing directions. I think he's got really good balance. Like He is a complete player and and one of the more, I think, just sort of raw, expo- explosive players that I've seen Ohio State get um, here over the last couple of years. He's, he looks he looks like he's going to be really good. Yeah, and Ohio State's other running back commit that they got during the quarantine was – Obviously, four-star Evan Pryor from Cornelius, North Carolina. He's a top 85 player, number six uh, running back in the class, and that's a hell of a one-two punch. And, you know, I I think that it was funny because you and I, I think, kind of disagreed a little bit about what a five-star running back should look like because I went to Tucson last year to talk to and write a story about B. John Robinson. And, you know, speaking of appropriate things uh, with Eddie George on the podcast, I don't think I've seen a running back in high school have that body uh, that Eddie George had uh, now and when he was in the NFL. So, like, I mean, Bijan Robinson might just be a freak of freaks. Um, but, you know, this is a, an incredible class that Ohio State's putting together, Bill. And, you know, this is the number one class in the country right now. They've got 15 verbal commitments, and 11 of those commitments are ranked in the top 107 players, 12 in the top 136 players in the country. So, I mean, that's talking about like 10% already of the top um, – 100 players in America. That's which is it's kind of nuts. Um three five-star prospects, Ohio State's in the picture for two or three more five-star prospects if they can get the five. They have a chance of putting together again one of the best recruiting classes ever in the history of modern day recruiting and I know that we talk about and fans want to know all the time whether or not Ohio State has a chance to win the recruiting crown because that's not something that Urban Meyer did in his 7 years here and the fact of the matter is, is that I think Ohio State does have a chance this year. You want to know why? Yes. Clemson is only signing 18 players, Dabo said. So if Clemson right now is the number one competitor, then I don't think that Clemson's going to have the numbers to just outdo Ohio State anyway if Ohio State gets into the mid-20s again. Um, now, that's obviously not taking into account Alabama, who for some reason right now, I, I don't even think they're in the top 30. in the. Where are they in the recruiting rankings right now? Oh, I'm still scrolling. Let me check. There's uh, Virginia, there's Kansas, there's Boston College. Are they not hey, in the top 50 right now? Oh, Georgia Tech, SMU, Northwestern. Let me click load more. Uh, there's Alabama, 56, right behind Temple. 56. Oh, with, oh, they only have one commitment, and I don't know what the I don't know what's going on there. Uh <laughs> That's the first time in the history of the 24-7 website that you've had to click load more <laughs> when you go into the Alabama class. Um, but, you know, you obviously can't can't say that Alabama's out of the picture until they put their class together. So they haven't really started yet. I don't know if that – does that look like an alarm? If this was Ohio State's class, would you be alarmed right now? If that was Ohio State's class, Columbus would be burning to the ground. I'm like I, Honestly, if they had one commitment right now – and I'm not saying like Alabama's in trouble because I think they're typically slower. But like just knowing Ohio State fans, if they had one commit in 2021 and it was like like a middle of the pack kind of four star kid and they were ranked 56 in the national rankings, people will be losing their shit. Yeah, and the one commitment that you do have is number 153 in America. 
which is a nice commitment, but it's not elite. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. That's that might be a screenshot for the the recruiting column that I do every week. Just a discussion about that because um, I I was kind of surprised to see that, but it's just weird. Yeah. I mean, I don't know like how many commitments Alabama had in the 2020 class last April 3rd. So like maybe they had like six or five last year, but you know, I don't know. It's so funny when you talk about how college football comes in waves and patterns repeat themselves. If this could be the beginning of the end of the Alabama uh, crimson tides run, I don't know. I I mean, Nick Saban still is a great, in my opinion, uh, one of the top two coaches in America. I do think that with all the shouting I've been doing to myself um, in my bedroom this weekend about talent and how important it is in college football, that Dabo Sweeney has taken the um, top spot in my rankings for best coach in America, um, just considering the fact that Clemson has won two national championships and was um, did it without signing a top five class. You know, they had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, and obviously that took place, but um, – I mean, the stat is only three teams in the last 20 years have won a national championship without signing a top five class in the previous four classes. So one of the four classes that makes up their current roster, and two of them were Clemson, and one was the Auburn team that had Cam Newton. Now, both teams signed top 10 classes, but still, um, what Dabo's been able to do from a talent evaluation standpoint, I think, has been unmatched in the sport. Um, I think Ryan Day and Ohio State have a chance to continue to be in that conversation but like just based on what's happening on the field and now what I'm seeing off the field I'm starting to wonder whether or not that incredible run that we might not ever seen in college football see in college football again might be coming to an end who knows I mean maybe they'll win the national championship again this year and I'll be an idiot but it doesn't look it doesn't look it doesn't look like it's used to look right now it doesn't look it doesn't look like it used to look and it's, it's it's a strange thing to see and I'm not neither one of us are experts in Alabama recruiting and like the pace at which they recruit and Ohio State I think typically does it a little faster they seem to fill up quicker than a lot of other teams do they have 15 right now and no one else in the top 10 has that many um, but it is still strange to see Alabama all the way down there behind Temple uh, let me ask you this if Ohio State in 2017, Ohio State finished second to Alabama in the recruiting rankings, but everyone was like, well, they had the highest overall player rating, so they had the best class, which I agree with. If Ohio State finishes number one overall in the rankings this year, but Clemson has a better average player rating, like, will, we, will Ohio State fans just be flipping that and saying, like, we won. Player rating doesn't matter. You know, I, I think that Ohio State fans have a tendency to, and all fans really have a tendency to lean on the thing that's sexy in the time. I do think that Ohio State's 2017 class was the best class um, I've ever seen. And maybe some of the recent Clemson classes are now in the discussion, and maybe Ohio State's got passed a little bit. What do they have, five five-star prospects in that class? And the highest average player rating in ever? 17? Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So to me, Ohio State played or should have played for a national championship with that class. I think the fact that Ohio State did not – reach a national championship game with that 17 classes and underachieving. Well, they still can. Um, a lot of those guys are still around. Yeah, I mean, they still can, but the, the crux of what made that class great is gone. So, that that I mean, they, they absolutely can this year, and I guess the 2017 class would still technically be a part of it. But the reason why I thought that about Ohio State's 2017 class is in the NFL now. So, it kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. I mean, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda. Well, the five stars are still on the team. Yeah, I mean, Wyatt Davis, Sean Wade, and Baron Browning are still there. And Trayvon Grimes isn't on the team anymore with Dobbins and 
Martel, and that's your favorite Meyer's player, right? Still there. Haskell Garrett's still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kendall Sheffield was a year older, but, you know, the, I mean, I guess you're right that the, the that half of those guys are still in the mix and Josh Myers. and But, yeah, I think that you want to actually bring in the best players, and I think that that's more important than the ranking of the players. So the people who banged the drum in 2017 – just remember, it's about quality and not quantity. So, But I think Ohio State's actually going to do it. I think right now they'd be the odds-on favorite. I think they're going to do it, too. I don't know. I, I have to look deeper and see like what Clemson is still eyeing. I'm sure there's a, a good list of five stars that Clemson could still get, including a couple of guys that Ohio State would also want. Um, but I, I do. I, I think they're going to do it this year. And it goes back to things we talked about in previous episodes about like it's a kind of a perfect storm of they're recruiting really well nationally. They always have good player evaluation, and the state's really good. I was reading something on, uh, what was I reading? Oh, Mark Givler on Buckeye Grove was, was writing something about it the other day, and he's been covering recruiting in the state a long time, and he said this group in 2021 is, is the best maybe that he's seen um, come out of the state of Ohio. And, and Ohio State, to their credit, has done a good job of locking those guys down and doing it early. But that's the kind of thing that, that I think Ohio State needs to have happen if it's going to win recruiting titles, like you said a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and I guess it's uh, if you're having a discussion of Highest player rating versus number one overall. It's a good problem to have. Both of those teams played in the playoff with those glasses. So, you know, I don't think it necessarily matters. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, it's at a point right now that I didn't anticipate it would get to um, this soon. I knew Ohio State would continue to be top six, top five classes under Ryan Day just because he's a young, bright, personable coach at a place that's easy to sell. But the way that it's been going right now, it's even off the – off the reservation in terms of what I thought it was going to be. And I think it's pretty impressive. And I do believe, despite the fact, I mean, I know you guys might be shocked to hear this, but I believe that there's a straight line between the classes you sign and the success that you have on your field. Um, and the phenomenon this week that people don't seem to agree with that is honestly one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my entire journalism career. But good recruiting classes equal good football teams, and Ohio State has that right now. So um, right now we've seen a lot of discussion about Ohio State's uh, running back um, situation between Trey Sermon committing to play this year and what Ohio State has in. Are are your thoughts eased right now in terms of the health of Ohio State's roster at that position? Or do you still wonder how they're going to get through uh, 2020? I feel pretty good about it. Uh, I thought, you know, Trey Trey Sermon, I thought was a pretty good uh, Band-Aid. And maybe that's, he's probably, he's more than that. But but for what they were facing in, in 2020, they needed somebody with experience who could carry the ball a lot and, and quite possibly be their, their leading rusher next year. So that was really good to get him. But but I, I wasn't super concerned with, with 2020, to be totally honest. Um, but but this is a better situation for them, I think, to have someone like Trey Sermon on the roster. And he should be able to sign here. I saw the NLI. Um, I, th- I think this applies to guys like Trey Sermon. I think he'll be able to, to sign in the middle of the month the middle of this month, and then Ohio State can actually talk about it. Ryan Day couldn't talk about it when we spoke to him last week. But I like the fit there. And then to to bounce back from what 2020 ended up being from a recruiting standpoint, uh, to get Trevion Henderson and uh, why am I blanking on the running back's name? Evan Pryor. Evan Pryor. North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, really good. Really good. Like, I, I don't – there's no other way to spin it. Um, I, there's been a lot of stuff out this week about like like Tony Alford is the greatest recruiter that's ever recruited and like he's done a really good job and I think you give him give him credit for that give the staff credit for that too. Um, they had a need, they had a little bit of setback, and they they found a way to make up for it. So gold stars all around, go Bucks. 
So this is the running back episode of um, 4 to 6 with A and B. Um, and I just wanted to use that as a segue to Maurice Claret. Bill Landis watched the 2002 National Championship for the first time um, this week, and he wrote a really interesting story about his diary, um, watching it and, and his takes, and sold pretty well, and people were really into to discussing it. So, Bill, what was your, your number one takeaway from watching the 2002 game? I knew that Ohio State was very talented in that era and obviously had a lot of draft picks off of that team, and I also knew what Miami was and their their run of incredible draft picks in the basically the first three or four years of, of that decade. And he, like, even knowing that like I was still surprised to watch the game. And I, I felt, I also feel kind of stupid saying like, I, I, I never watched it before. Maybe I should have watched it before, but like, this is, this is honest to God, like first time viewing experience and experience and, and watching all this for the first time. I was surprised by like how much Ohio state looked like it belonged on that field with that Miami team. And, and, and certain stretches and on certain areas of the field, like Ohio state's defensive line against Miami's offensive line in particular looked way better. I, like Ohio State's front seven in that game was incredible, and the way they bottled up like Willis McGahee and got after Ken Dorsey. Dorsey had some nice passing yards and, and made some really good plays, like navigate the pocket and make good throws down the field. But they were all over him, and they were all over Willis McGahee, and they really bottled up the run game. and And even watching it, having a baseline knowledge, knowing how it ended, I was still surprised to see how much they kind of controlled things from that standpoint. Was that the first time you saw Maurice Claret's uh, strip? Yes, yes. Because you tried to tell me you tried you tried to tell me about it, and I wanted to stop you because I wanted to have like an orga- or an organic moment watching it happen. So like I knew. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I thought that you probably would have seen that play on a highlight reel somewhere. So when you told me that you had no idea what that signature play um, was, I said I'm not going to say anything. But now that you saw it, because I thought that that was one of the most incredible plays I've ever seen. Um, would you put it in that same category with me, or, or like what was your take watching that, and and watching it for the first time, watching it um, in the flow of the game, um, what would have happened had that play not happened? I mean, you know, match up the the physical athleticism needed to pull that play off, but also the magnitude of the situation that the game, um, the the juncture the game was in, and what the game actually was. Like, was that? Would you put that in that category? I would. I, I was. I'm watching a game, and Sean Taylor catches the ball in the end zone. Just an awful throw. Terrible throw by Craig Krenzel. He played great. That was a terrible throw. He get Sean Taylor has the ball in the end zone and he explodes off the goal line like he's coming out of starting blocks on a hundred meter dash. And I'm like, no one's going to catch him. He's going to score. And then out of nowhere, here comes Maurice Claret. And I was like, oh wow, that was a pretty good play by Claret to track him down and knock him out of bounds. And then I think it might have been it was either Dan Fouts or Keith Jackson. I forget who said it. Like Claret has the ball. I'm like, what do you mean Claret has the ball? Sean Taylor's out of bounds. It's Miami ball. Like, that was a pivotal moment in the game. Ohio State really could have used a score there. And now all of a sudden, here's Maurice Claret bobbing off the field with a ball in his hand and a huge chunk of grass in his face mask. And Craig Krenzel's on the ground, like, head in his hands, like, in disbelief that he just threw that ball and, like, he has it back. And I think Ohio State ended up getting a field goal out of that. They didn't score a touchdown, but they ended up getting points. But that was the, to, to have the game flip back and forth in that way so quickly was crazy. But then, like, the effort and awareness of Maurice Claret to make that tackle and jar the ball out and like recover it. And I'm, I guess he was aided by the fact that there was no replay, but even if there was, I still think it would have, it would have gone as it was called in the field. Incredible. It was, I, I have, I had never watched an individual effort like that um, since before that I can remember. Now they showed a, a replay from an earlier sugar bowl um, 
years before when Alabama played Miami and the guy made a similar kind of play, chasing a guy down from behind and knocking the ball out of his hands, like right before he scored. And that was crazy too. Might have actually been crazier. But to experience it live for the first time watching that happen, like my mind was blown that he made that play. Yeah, I wish you would, would have been able to watch it without knowing who won. Because that would have been the, the 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 best possible way to view that. But let me ask you another fastball here, Bill. Who would win in a game? 2002 Ohio State? <laughs> Did you know this was coming? <laughs> 2002 yeah. Ohio State or 14 Ohio State? And that's one, one question that I regretted Gosh. not asking in the survey. I think we should have asked... Which national championship do you think is most impressive? Because 2002 season, I think everybody views as a fairy tale. And even though I don't necessarily agree that um, Ohio State was a David in the David and Goliath situation in the 2 game um, because of how much talent they had, that obviously they had to sneak by quite a bit in 2 to stay undefeated and get into that game. But then, of course, in 14, they, my dad was watching some classic football games the other day and they had the Oregon um, Cardale Jones performance in the national championship game on. And I don't know how much time you spent watching it, but I hadn't watched the game since we were there live. So like I was sitting there watching it and Cardale is throwing these passes through windows. And it's like, I have still to this day, no idea how he did that. So both seasons are kind of um, special in their own right. And you could make a case for them being once in a lifetime national championships because they both seem to be um, touched by an angel, if you will. Um, but A, who do you think would win in a game? And B, which uh, national championship do you think might be more impressive now that you've seen the, the, the title game from 02? I think the the 0-2 title game was more impressive. Like the 0-2 title game is an all-time kind of game, I think even for people who aren't Ohio State fans. And I know that season was wild with some of the ways they had to win games. Um, so I think that that is like the more memorable game. And I, I would I would probably compare it more to the Sugar Bowl from a 14 than I would the national title game, even though obviously one gets you the trophy and one doesn't. The, the title game, while Ohio State fumbled the ball four times and somehow still won by a couple scores is, is kind of crazy. Um, it didn't feel, even being there, like it was like, oh, we're here at the national championship. Like the Sugar Bowl felt bigger because it was Alabama. Um, this O2 title game, I think, I think will will live on or, or be remembered a little more fondly if you're just comparing the title games themselves. As far as who would win, I don't know. Somebody asked me that question in a live Q and A this week, and I was like, I have no idea how to answer this question. I, I think I would pick 14 only because the, the the thing in my mind that that was a separator for Ohio State against Miami was what I was saying earlier, how much that its defensive line dominated Miami up front. Ohio State's offensive line in 14 with Taylor Decker and Billy Price and Pat Elfline, Jacoby Bourne, and um, who am I forgetting? Daryl Baldwin, I think would have held up better. And then you have Zeke Elliott in the backfield. You got Cardale throwing a thing around. Like for as, for as fast and as talented as that Miami team was, I think Ohio State in 14 was every bit as talented. And you can look at the draft numbers and it backs it up. Uh, I think I would pick 14 because I would like that offensive line a little more than I would have liked Miami's offensive line having watched it now. But it's also a recency bias. Like, I know 14 more intimately than I do 02. So, yeah. but and people might think I'm crazy for saying that, but that's what, that's what I would pick. Was it pass interference? I think, yeah, I think it might have been holding. Um, but I, I get thrown the flag. Like, before that, and, uh, when Krenzel threw to, it was Krenzel to gamble, I think, on the, on the, drive before that where Ohio State didn't convert um or no it was sorry it was it was still in regulation Ohio State was trying to run at the clock and it was a third down throw Krenzel to Gamble and it was ruled incomplete one Gamble got held two he caught the ball and it was called incomplete 
and if it was complete, Ohio State would have sent it to drive, and maybe the game never goes to overtime. So uh, those things like kind of even each other out. I get if you're a Miami fan, you remember the flag sitting there in the end zone, but it looked like the very least holding to me, and I can certainly understand why you'd throw the flag for pass interference. Yeah, I mean, I've watched enough of the evidence videos on YouTube in the past 10 years, like it's the uh, JFK assassination. They have so many different replays and angles of it, but he did get held at first, and I think that the, the, the play is controversial, not because it was a controversial call. I think the play is controversial because of how long it took the flag to come Yes, out. it came out late. Um, and that's and that's what it is. So, um, And the other thing, too, Bill, I, I, that you know was kind of an interesting thing that sparked my mind now that we're talking about 0-2, but it is interesting to me, and I don't know where you would rank Ken Dorsey if he's a top 30 college quarterback of all time, um, but it's so much more – I mean, teams are so much more reliant on elite-level quarterback play at the highest level now than they used to be. And, like, Krenzel was a fine college quarterback, but, like, I think you might have been the one that tweeted this, right? But he had 12 touchdown passes that entire season that they won a national championship game. And it's like now that you're – in an era where the quarterback is throwing 50 and you got Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson and Cam Newton and all these quarterbacks, it's like the game has shifted so much that a team I feel like doesn't even have a chance to compete at the highest level unless they have an elite level quarterback. And it just seems to me that like, you know, watching a a great game and an integral piece of Ohio State history, it also is kind of a reminder probably to you of how much this game has changed, right? Yeah, I wrote that in, in the story. Uh, they, they put up in the beginning of the game, like, here's Craig Krenzel's season numbers, and it's like he has 12 touchdowns. Like, what did he have? Tw- they played, that was their 14th game. He, he averaged less than a touchdown. game. Yeah. He averaged less than a touchdown per game. Like, this team's in a national championship. And then in the game, he went like 7 for 22, I think his final line was. And the, the one thing I'll say, like, I don't want, I don't want to crap on, on what Krenzel did because, like, it's a cliche thing to say. That dude got his ass kicked for that entire game, and that had to have been one of the toughest performances by an Ohio State player ever. I know we always talk about JT and his toughness. Like I felt like I was watching JT like on steroids in that game. Krenzel got rocked in the head like four or five times. That was another thing about the game. Like If that game was played today, seven of those dudes are getting tossed for targeting. No, no question about it. Well, one of, the, one of the infamous stories about that game was that Ken Dorsey came off the field and in the tunnel like was vomiting. Because his like head, like he was like he couldn't even stand up because he um, had his hell, his bell rung so much, and it was just like Miami couldn't even function. Like, it was like a surprise that he was even able to play. So like, yeah, I was like funny when you kept tweeting or when you kept noticing targeting because it's just like the hits that are that happened in that era just don't happen anymore. Well, there was another after the fact. I went, I was reading a. Um an oral history that Sports Illustrated had done a couple years ago, and they were talking. Dustin Fox is one of the guys who was part of it. And he said on Miami's first touchdown, if you watch the play, Mike Doss comes down to cover Roscoe Parrish in the slot, and Parrish just burns him off the line. And, like, it's by him, and it's a touchdown, and it plays over before it starts. And apparently the reason that happened is because on the play before that, Dustin Fox got hit in the head and, like, didn't know where he was. He didn't know where he was supposed to be, where he was supposed to line up, who he was supposed to cover. And he's, like, standing in the secondary looking around, trying to figure out where he's supposed to be. And Mike Doss is just like, I'll do it because you're not on this planet right now. So he goes down and covers Parrish and Parrish scores. And like if Dustin Fox could think straight from that play, maybe he's covering him and that play doesn't happen. And who knows how the game transpires from there. But yeah, there were everyone like Ken Dorsey got hit in the jaw like four times. Craig Krenzel got hit in the head a couple times. 
Um, but credit, like the, both of those guys kept getting back up, and, and Dorsey, I thought, threw the ball pretty well in that game, even though he had interceptions, and Krenzel was the leading rusher in a game that had Maurice Claret, Maurice Claret and Willis McGahee in the national championship, the leading rusher is Craig Krenzel. Does Ohio State win the football game if McGahee doesn't hurt his knee? He was getting going. He was getting going there before he got hurt. I think probably yes, because um, even on the play right before he got hurt, they had stopped him for a gain. Ohio State's defense looked a little bit gassed, but but I think they would have been able to to mostly do what they did in, in the game up to that. So I think Ohio State would, would still find a way to win, yeah. Have you seen a more gruesome injury continually shown on replay than that in your entire life? No. I couldn't, like, they kept showing, like, they showed it one the first time, and Keith Jackson and Dan Fouts like, oh, my God, that's the most gruesome thing I've ever seen. And, like, let's look at it three more times and slow it down from different angles. Yeah, like, come, come Showed on. it, like, three more times. It was gross. I don't know if they do that anymore, but, like, it's ingrained in, like, I in my head right now as a 32-year-old man, 20 years removed from that game almost, I still know exactly what it looks like in my head. Well, that was the other thing that was in the the – oral history that I read, like some of them, I think it would have been Jonathan Vilmus said, like they kept showing the replay on the video board in the stadium. And like the Miami players were getting pissed off about that. Like understandably. So that was a guy, Willis McGahee is from Miami, grew up in Miami was, they were talking during the game. Like, we don't know if it's going to go pro or not. Like he's going pro, but he was on the verge of maybe being, uh, uh, the number one player taken in that draft, perhaps like he was one of the best players in the country. And to watch that unfold for him that way was like, it was heartbreaking. Even even to know what was happening and still see it, it was still heartbreaking. You know what blows my mind is that the guy played in the NFL for more than a decade after that. Yeah, he bounced back pretty well. Yeah, it was good for him. So, um, anything else, Bill? I know this has been a long podcast for people. They're probably sick of hearing my voice. No, I, the one the one thing I will say about that game just quickly is I had a lot of fun watching it and writing about it, but I also really enjoyed people in the comments on the story and also on Twitter like sharing their memories of that game too. And I said something when I tweeted it out, like, I don't know how you guys lived through this because this game was insane. And everyone was like, we almost died watching it. I was like, yeah, I get that. But it was it was fun to, to watch or read um, people's memories of, of living through that in real time back in, in 2003. So that was fun. So I was still a kid, and I was living in Phoenix when that game played, and that game was here. Um, and I had some friends over to watch the game because it was a national championship. And after that game was over – my dad took us to the Princess Hotel where Jack Miller's father's the uh, general manager now because um, to like talk to the team and get autographs and stuff because uh, that's what kids do when they're 13 or 14 years old. And my friend spilled Dr. Pepper, a can of Dr. Pepper, on Chris Gamble as he got off the bus. And I just want everybody to, to know that because it's just like he won a national championship. He gets off the bus in his tracksuit and he's got <laughs> he accidentally spilled Dr. Pepper all over him. And it was probably a top 10 most funny thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So um, I think that's it for, for this week, guys. Um, thank you so much for tuning in four to six with A and B. Um, obviously, our number one goal is to get you to consider reading our stuff at The Athletic. And by doing um, by listening to this podcast, you can get 40% off of a subscription to The Athletic, www.theathletic.com slash 4-6. Um, like always, we appreciate you listening, and, and we'll be with you in the future. Thanks so much.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.